You are listening to the Bozeman United Methodist Church Sermon Podcast. Every Monday morning, you can catch up on the previous Sunday sermon or ones you've missed from the past. You can find out more about us at bozemanumc.org or on our Facebook or Instagram page. We appreciate you listening. Don't forget to share with a friend. All right, good morning. Y'all didn't know that when you hired me, you were also getting a alter ego that came along with me that is Captain Cascade. And this is a superhero alter ego back from my youth ministry days. And, you know, if you are up to it, up to a deep dive YouTube um, search, you could probably find the lore of Captain Cascade. Um, That might be a dare. I don't know. Um, Just let me warn you, it was like 2010 and videos were harder to make then. Um, But yeah, so here I am and I'm in my cape this morning because we are starting a new sermon series this morning um, called Wonder Women of the Bible. But I am going to take off my cape because in the immortal words of Edna M. Mode from The Incredibles... No capes, right? Yeah, I'm kind of afraid I'm going to trip on this thing, so let's see if I can even get it off. There we go. But it needs a place of honor, I think. I'm going to put it right there. All right, so we are starting a new sermon series this morning, and um, we're going to be looking at Wonder Women of the Bible, and, you know, they didn't have superpowers, They didn't have fancy gadgets like some of the superhero women that we see in the movies or in literature today. Um, They didn't have capes, but what they had is they had the courage, they had the boldness, they had the strength, they had the wisdom to rise above their culture that was holding them down and enter into this beautiful story known as the scriptures that we have today. And so we're going to be looking over the next several weeks at women who did just that, that they took where they were and they rose above it. And so we're going to start this morning with Deborah. Now, first thing I want to say about Deborah, Deborah is a woman, and you might say, duh, Mel. But believe it or not, there are some, um, I hesitate to use the word theologians, but there are some, if you go back and read some commentaries that want to argue, they are so committed to their idea that women should never be leading men, women should never be in these kind of places of authorities that they actually want to try to do all of these theological gymnastics to say that Deborah wasn't even a woman. But let me just say, Deborah was a woman, okay? Several times in the passage, it refers to things that make you go, yeah, yeah, Deborah is a woman. So um, let's talk a little bit more about her. She was a prophetess and a judge, which meant that she spoke for God. There was something about her that people recognized or maybe no one else really wanted to do the job and she stepped up and said, here I am, I am um, called by God to do this. And so she was leading the people as a prophetess and as a judge. So she was the person that people would come to and they would ask her questions and she would rule on different things. She spoke for God at this time. When people needed to hear a word from God, she was the one that would bring it to them. But the interesting thing right now in the history of Israel is that Israel wasn't united. They have just come into the promised land and they're more like a loose confederation of tribes. Think the 13 colonies in America before 1776. And if you know your history of America, you know that they didn't always agree on what to do and they were kind of all doing their th- same th- the, their own thing. They weren't united. Everyone did what was right 
in their own eyes. You hear this over and over again in the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Yet, Deborah was kind of the leader of this loose confederation of tribes. And it says that she held court under a tree in Ramah, which again says to us that she's a woman because she couldn't hold court inside because if there was a man in a room with her by herself, that would be against the law and she would have been condemned to death. So she had to do her business outside. So there would have been nobody saying, hey, what's going on in there with Deborah and -and so-and-so's husband? And so she held court um, under a tree. Now, another character we need to know in this story's name is Barak. So who was Barak? Well, Barak was the leader of the military in Israel. But what you've got to understand, again, because they're just this loose confederation of tribes, is that they didn't necessarily have a standing army or a trained army. It was just kind of volunteers. Again, think again to the the 13 colonies that we're familiar with in the United States. It wasn't trained or standing. It was this ragtag group of guys that would come together whenever there were threats, but Barak was in charge of them. Another person you need to know about in this story is Sisera. Sisera was kind of the opposite of Barak. He was the military leader of the Canaanites, who were a neighboring group that were harassing the people. It said in the scripture that for 20 years they had been harassing the people in Israel. Now, he had a very different army than what Barak had. He had a large and trained army with 900 chariots. This is early Iron Age, and the Canaanites had developed their technology in a way that they had these really overpowering kinds of weapons and military hardware that the people of Israel just hadn't had time to develop. And so their army was much more, much more trained, much more equipped, and there's a reason why they were dominating for 20 years. They had been doing this harassing of the villagers all around. And so another thing you've got to understand about the history at this time, they had walled cities, a few of them, but most of the people lived out on farms and along small roads in between those cities. But what was happening, because the Canaanites were harassing them so much, all the people from the country were having to come live in the walled cities, and they were leaving their farms behind, which was leaving the country in really bad shape because no one could work the land because they were being harassed so badly by the Canaanites. And so that's when Deborah, seeing the problem with these people's um, livelihood, she calls on Barak. She calls on the leader of the military, and he's like, we've got to do something about this. And so she brings him in and says, we've got to take care of it. But Barak, he was afraid. And he didn't want to go into battle with the Canaanites who outnumbered him by a great deal and also had better technology. He was afraid to go and he said, I'm not going to go unless you will go with me. And probably what he was doing was he was just kind of testing Deborah a little bit to find out, is this really coming from God? Because, you know, if it's really coming to God, then she will, coming from God, she won't mind going with me. But if it's not, then she might say, oh, never mind, I don't want to go. And then Barack would be out of it as well. So he tests her and says, I'm only going to go if you go with me. And Deborah agrees. She's like, all right. 
I'll go. She believed so much that she was supposed to go and that God was calling them to go up against this larger army. She said, sure, I'll go. But if I go, you just got to know, Barack, that the honor and the victory is not going to go to you. No one's going to be singing songs about you. They're going to be singing songs about a woman, which would have been just about the worst thing in the world for Barack, right? But at this point, he's thrown down the gauntlet, right? He said, I'm not going to go unless you go with me. And she's like, okay, I'll go. He couldn't say, oh, never mind. And so off they go. And the battle is going to be near the Kishon River. Now, the Kishon River is an interesting place. It's a valley in this area in the Middle East. And one of the things that's really fascinating about it is that Napoleon, when he was kind of going through the Middle East on his way trying to take over Egypt and all those things, as he stood and looked over this valley, he said, this is the most perfect battlefield in the world. It was flat and there was a river and there were ways to approach it on all sorts of sides. And so it was a battlefield that was used um, over and over again in this world. That's where the battle was going to be, near the Kishon River Valley. And Judges 4 just gives us nothing. If you've read Judges 4 and you get to the part of the battle, I stopped the reading just because I wanted to have mercy. By the way, superpower of reading Hebrew words right there. Um, You're way better at that than I am, I want you to know. Um, But Judges 4 really gives us nothing about the battle. It says that Deborah and Barak gathered the people and they were going to go into this battle. And it really doesn't tell us anything. It just kind of all of a sudden says, and the battle was won. And it's like, no, I need more. I need more. The historian in me is like, I want to know what happened. You just can't say they went to battle, battle against this huge army with all their chariots and then just say, um, and they won, and not give me any other idea about what happened. I need more. And thankfully, we have a little bit more because in the Song of Deborah, which is in the next chapter of Judges, in Judges chapter, chapter 5, there's a little bit more to the story. The song of Deborah tells a little bit more about what happened during this battle. And songs were written about battles all the time then. That was a very normal way for them to record their history. And so there was a song in Judges chapter 5, if you want to read that on your own, and it gives all sorts of details that aren't found in chapter 4. But the main one that we need to see about this, and this was the thing that won the battle right here, Judges 5.5. Rain poured from the sky and the mountains shook. Obviously, that's how the battle was won. And you may be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's it? That's not a whole lot more than we had to go on before. Well, let's talk about this a little bit, about what happened. Um, You know, we have around here, we have football season. Um, We got a day off from that yesterday, right? Right? Is that right? Yeah, okay. Everybody got to catch their breath and go into the next part. Yeah, we have football season. We have basketball season. um, We have, you know, all sorts of seasons that we kind of set our lives. We have ski season. Some people really care about that. And, um, you know, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah going on from the back. Thanks, guys. And, you know, we've got all these seasons that kind of order our lives through the year. They had, at this time, they had 
war season, okay? They really did. There was a certain time of year that they went to war. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to do that at a particular time when the elements were correct, when the rain was not going to be there, when it was going to be warm because, it was, you know, war is pretty tough. And so they wanted to do it at an optimal time of year. And so they would plan this out and they had war season. Well, it was war season when Deborah called on Barak to go and battle the Canaanites so that they could protect their people. But here's what happened. An unusual rainfall caused a flood and leveled the odds. I was here a couple years ago um, in the summer visiting my friends in Manhattan and also going to conference up in Helena. And um, you guys had a 100-year rainfall a couple summers ago, right? And I remember seeing, as I was driving to my friend's house in Manhattan, how the rivers had just gone over their banks, and it was just crazy. And that was kind of an unusual, you know, 100-year kind of rainfall. And it made a difference. Well, that's what happened during this story. There was this unusual rainfall. Normally during war season, the Kishon River would have been a really small little river. But there was this crazy, crazy rainfall that happened. And so the river overswelled its banks. And what happens then? Then you get mud. What do you think that does to the chariots? Yeah, suddenly the chariots were not a big deal anymore. Suddenly it was like, okay, now we have the advantage because their chariots are stuck. And so that's what happened. And that's how they leveled the odds. That's how they won the battle. But there's some other things that we need to point out from this song. Very important things that happen. The first thing that we need to point out is that the song, if you read the song in chapter five, it gave credit to God for the victory. Right up at the very beginning, the very first part of the song, which is known as the hallelujah, which is a normal way that these songs about battles in all sorts of cultures would have been written, the glory and the honor comes to usually the God or the leader right up the very front. And so at the very front, all the credit goes to God. But credit is also given to other people. There was also credit to the common volunteer soldier which would never have happened in another song. In other cultures' songs, they would have never given credit to just the lowly soldier, just the person who volunteered and showed up. They're just not important. They're just pawns. We give the credit to God and our leaders, right? No, not in this song. In this song, the credit goes to God first, but then the common volunteers. And then it went to the lesser tribes. Remember, there were different tribes represented in this little um, country that was forming called Israel. And here's what happens, you find out in the song. When Barak went to go gather the army, he went to the different tribes. And the larger tribes, the more prestigious tribes, said, eh, we'll pass. They didn't show up. It was the lesser tribes, the smaller tribes, the ones that were just not quite, um, just not looked at as being on the same level. When they moved into the promised land, the larger tribes, um, the, the bigger tribes, they took the best land, and then the smaller ones got the poor land. Those were the ones that showed up. The mighty tribes, the big tribes, they didn't show up for this battle. 
just the small one. And so it gives credit to those lesser tribes that were not used to being in the spotlight. And it also, of course, just like Deborah said, gave credit to a woman. But here's the interesting thing. That woman wasn't Deborah. The woman that gets credit for taking down Sisera is going to be the subject of my sermon next week. So <laughs> I love a good cliffhanger. So you got to come ne back next week and find out who gets the credit for this battle. But what does this have to do with us? What is this story? You know, sometimes when we read these stories in the Old Testament and we're just like, oh, a lot of war and a lot of stuff. And by the way, get ready because next week is going to be a crazy one. We might say, well, what does this have to do with us? Why is this even here? Well, here's what this says to us. Our God is not partial or misogynistic. Okay. And, you know, I know that's kind of a battle right now. You know, we see that through our culture, especially when it comes to Scripture. Those who want to say, no, Deborah's not even a woman, you know, because how could a woman lead like that? How could a woman be in charge? And then there's others like us that are saying, yes, God is not partial. He's not misogynistic. He loves us all equally and believes in the gifts and graces that we all each have. That's the first thing I want to say is our God is not partial, partial however, however the culture, especially then, was completely partial. It was absolutely partial. There was such a hierarchy between men and women, but also between greater tribes and lesser tribes. Also between, you know, armies that had all sorts of power and, and others that were just ragtag kind of volunteer kind of guys getting together. The culture was completely Partial, and the message of the story today is one of hope for the underdog. And those are my favorite kind of stories, by the way. Hope for the underdog. That's what these stories and, and continuing on in this sermon series, that's so at the heart of all of these things, the commoner, those in lesser categories and women, have a place, a prominent place in the story in the great story that we all continue on. God just doesn't care about those categories. Just doesn't care. It just doesn't matter. Here's what God cares about. God is looking for the willing, no matter the circumstance. Who got the credit? The common volunteer soldier. The one that said yes when others said no. Who else is going to get the story? Well, a woman, not the commander of the army, but the woman who said, I'll go with you. I will go. God is looking for the willing, no matter the circumstance, still today, just as then, looking for those who will say, I'll go. Wherever we're called, even when it's scary, I will go. May we be those people, church, that say, yes, God, I will go. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bozeman United Methodist Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date on each week's sermon. 
To find out more information about us, you can go to bozemanumc.org or check us out on our Facebook and Instagram pages. No matter where you find us or connect with us, we pray that you get out there and do good.